All right. Well, good morning again, everybody, church. Uh, <clears throat> it truly is a treat to get to gather every week and, and worship our Lord with you uh, week in and week out. And, and today is certainly no exception to that. Um, but this week, we're actually going to mix it up just a little bit, which I think by now everybody in here is pretty much aware of that. But especially if you look at your bulletin, you'll notice that this is not the normal um, order of service. This is not the way we normally do things. So rather than continuing on in the Olivet Discourse, which is what we've done for the last 10 weeks, uh, we're actually, today we're going to do something that quite frankly um, <clears throat> is very special. This is something that I've been looking forward to personally for a really long time. This is something that we've all known was coming um, since we first planted New Heritage Church. And today is the day, if, if you live under a rock and you don't know, um, that today is the day that I get to officially ordain Pastor Jordan and Pastor Josh um, to the gospel ministry. So super excited about that. And it's no secret that these two have functioned as elders in this church um, since we've been here and in many ways long before that. Uh, so in, in a sense, or there may be a sense in which what we're doing this morning may feel kind of like a formality since these guys have been our leaders from the get-go, right? But I want to encourage you to not let that be so. Uh, don't let this be a formality. Ordination is a special time. This is a time of setting apart. And today, for this church, it is a time of celebration for us. To ordain someone means to appoint them. It is to recognize their calling from God and affirmation from the church and to install or appoint or ordain them to the office of elder. Now, although the Bible doesn't give us a step-by-step how-to uh, on how to ordain, we do see in both Old and New Testaments um, that ordination is a biblical principle. This is something that, that has been practiced by God's people from the very beginning. And, and I'll show you one example from this. It's in your handout, but Acts 13, verses 2 and 3, we read, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You know what you find here in this text? You find an ordination. Uh, God calls Barnabas and Saul. The church is then to recognize this calling and to set them apart by the laying on of hands and commissioning them out. And this laying on of hands, th this is the setting apart. This is their formal ordination. Well, guess what? When you get to the next chapter, what you find is that Barnabas and Saul are in Galatia and the text tells us they are appointing elders in every church. Titus was told in Titus 1.5 to appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. And there are countless other examples where we see this done. But the point is, when it comes to the office of elder in the church, God calls, the church affirms this calling, and, the one that, and then the one that is called is set apart or ordained by the laying on of hands and formal commissioning. So that's exactly what we're going to do this morning as it pertains to these two men. Now, the way this is going to work is totally different. Um, we've never done this, but what I will do is I'll preach what's called a charge to the elder. So uh, pretty much just going to stomp on Jordan and Josh's toes for about 15 or 20 minutes, right? But, but really, you guys know this. It's for all of us. It's not just for them. Uh, but it's a, it's a charge to the elder. Then when that's done, I'm going to bring them up individually to affirm some vows. I'll bring the other up to lay hands and, and pray on whichever one with me, right? And then when that's over, once they're officially ordained... After that, I will preach what's called a charge to the congregation. Now, this one is kind of a mini sermon that's directed at the church on the responsibility of the congregant toward his relationship um, to his leadership. Right. So I'm going to speak to leadership about their relationship to the church and then vice versa. So 
For many of you, I figure you've probably got fear in your eyes now because I'm preaching two sermons this morning and you know that I'm already long-winded, but I assure you, I will do my very best to make this as brief as I can. But with that, let's begin this morning with the charge to the elder. So whenever you think about the word pastor, elder, shepherd, bishop, overseer, all these are terms for the same office, by the way. They're not different things, right? But whenever you think of the pastor, what pops in your mind? What is he to be like? What is expected of him? What is he to do in the church, in life, and so forth? And if we're honest, uh, we probably all have different opinions about this to some level or another. And if we're honest, many, if not most, of our opinions about pastors are probably not rooted in what the Bible actually teaches about these things. Um, I've heard of pastors being fired for wearing shorts while they mowed their yard uh, because a man of God ought not show his legs. Okay, many people believe it is solely the pastor's job to visit uh, and check on sick people. And is it true that it's the pastor's job to visit and check on sick people? Yes, it is. But not because he's the pastor. That's true for all of us. It's, it's true for him because he's a Christian. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 25, 35 through 40. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. Here it is. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. So you see in that text there that visiting the sick and all those other things, they are the job of who he calls the righteous, or as we may simply say, the Christian, right? Not just the pastor. And it's my opinion um, personally that a good indicator of the level of spiritual maturity in any given church is how well that church does this very thing. How well the church cares for those uh, among them when they're in need, when they are sick and so forth. But... Another misconception in the church today is that it's the pastor's job to share the gospel, right? The American church today thinks that evangelism is inviting someone to church, and then when they get there, they'll hear the guy behind the pulpit uh, share the gospel. So again, what we're doing there is we are conflating the role of the church with the role of the pastor, right? Now, a few other misconceptions you'll hear is that pastors only work two days a week, um, People will think, and this is true, people think pastors don't struggle with sin the way that I do. Couldn't be further from the truth. And then here's my personal favorite, all right? People think pastors enjoy and appreciate regular criticism. So if all of the, we don't, by the way. So if all of these things are not true, I'll ask again, what is a pastor to be and what is he to do? Well, I think if we were to summarize it, and I don't have six hours to preach to you, I wish I did, but if we were to summarize it, okay, into three points that we can work through, we can look at this image of a pastor as an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ and conclude that a pastor has three primary job duties, which are to lead, to feed, and to protect or to guard the church of Jesus Christ. So let's work down that list. Let's look at the first one. A pastor is to lead. Think about the shepherd and sheep dynamic as it pertains to uh, the pastor and the church member. If a flock of sheep is out roaming around and they have no shepherd, they're wandering around aimlessly. Don't you think? They don't know where they're going and they certainly don't know how to get there. They're just there. 
They have no guidance. Well, this is where the shepherd comes in. The shepherd that is over that flock of sheep, he serves as a visionary and as a model for some, someone for them to follow as they move along, right? Well, look at what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And this is very similar to what he told the church at church at Philippi in Philippians 4.9. He said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You know what Paul's telling these believers? Do what I do. He's saying, I set the example, you follow. Paul has served in, as an example in godliness. He has set, um, so to speak, within human terms, right, the bar for these people to follow. Now, how many of y'all have ever heard somebody say, do as I say, not as I do, right? I think of my grandma, and I'm not picking on my grandma, but she used to be out there smoking cigarettes, and she'd be like, I better not ever let me catch you smoking cigarette, you know? And I'm like, well, that's not really how this works, you know? Well, that's not what Paul's saying here at all. Paul's not saying, don't do what I do. Paul is telling these disciples, much like the way that sheep follow the shepherd, you follow me as I follow Christ. This is why there are such strict qualifications for an elder in Christ's church. We looked at both of these. Jordan read 1 Timothy and Josh read from Titus. But let's recap that list. Paul says, for one to serve as an elder, he must aspire to the office, be above reproach, be the husband of one wife, or, or a better translation is a one-woman man. Okay? He says he must be sober-minded, disciplined, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not arrogant, not a lover of money or greedy for gain. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive. He must not be a recent convert. He must be well thought of by outsiders, and he must be a lover of good, upright, and holy. What a list, right? Um, that's tough. And, and again, why is it so tough? Well, here's why. Because if a man is going to lead Christ's church in godliness, he must first be godly. Uh, Reformed pastor Richard Baxter once said this. He said an unholy pastor is like a stained glass window. He's just a religious figure that keeps the light out. And any real leader knows that leadership is not done from the back of the line telling people what to do. Right, But rather, real leadership is done by telling people this is what needs to be done and then getting at the front of the line to lead and show them how. And in that same sense, the call of the pastor is the call first and foremost to pursue God with everything that you have and then in light of that to show the people under your care how to do the same. So with all that, the pastor's first responsibility is to lead. But secondly, if the pastor, uh, or rather, if the shepherd has sheep following him, right? And in the same way, if the pastor has people under his care, they must be taken care of. Well, this means that his next responsibility is to feed. In a conversation between Jesus and Peter in John 21, 15 through 17, Jesus tells Peter once to tend my sheep and twice he tells them to feed my sheep. Now, these are final marching orders of sorts for Peter because shortly after that, we know that Jesus ascended to the Father. Um, so he's telling Peter here what he expects from him as a leader in Christ's church, and, and that is primarily that he feed Christ's sheep. Um, that's the task. That's the command. Now, is Jesus telling him here to provide them physical food? Like, Peter, I want you to fire the grill up and feed all these disciples. No, that, that's not what he's telling him at all. He's telling Peter to uh, supplement, to nourish them spiritually. 
right? To give them the word of God. This is what it means to feed the sheep. Now, we see shortly after John 21, uh, we're actually going to be there in a week or two in Sunday school. But in Acts, in the book of Acts, things are going well. Uh, Peter is preaching, preaching the gospel. They're going around the churches, booming, growing like a wildfire. And then we get to Acts chapter 6 and encounter a situation. Acts 6, 1 through 4 says this. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, so the church is growing, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, this is the twelve, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So you see what happened here in Acts 6. The, the 12 being the, the apostles, right? The church leadership, they were being pulled away from preaching the word because they were having to take care of all these physical needs of the people. And the 12 described this situation how? They said, it is not right. It is not right that we should give up uh, studying, preaching, praying to serve tables. And so their solution then was to appoint some help to meet these physical needs. And many people, myself included, they believe this is the first look in Scripture at the office of deacon. Okay, But look at what the twelve are going to do instead of taking care of those physical needs. They say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Church, these are leaders that knew their role. They knew what was required of them. Jesus told Peter to feed his sheep. And in Acts 6, what we find is that by being forced to take care of all these uh, physical needs and such, the twelve were having to neglect these spiritual matters. Uh, or I might say their primary calling, right? Which was this spiritual feeding. And so they devoted, they got help, right, to take care of that. They devoted themselves back to their primary responsibility to Christ's church, which was giving them Christ's words. And how does this play out? We see in verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what we see is because these uh, apostles got back to their primary calling, right? God blessed their obedience here with both spiritual and numerical growth. So the word of God was going forth, new people were being converted, and this was all a result of their obedience to their primary calling. John Owen once said this. We all know John Owen. He said, The first and principal duty of a pastor is to feed the flock by diligently preaching the word. And I believe Owen is spot on. So, the pastor is to lead, the pastor is to feed, but lastly, the pastor is to protect, or we may say guard the flock. Um, thinking about this shepherd and sheep dynamic again, okay? As we're all traveling along from A to B, it is inevitable that some point or another we encounter danger, Right? And in that moment, when the predator comes, when the alarm bells start ringing, the responsibility to defend the flock primarily comes down to one group of people, and that's the shepherds. Look at what Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verses 28 through 30. He said, be on, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood." I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up, even from your own number, and distort the truth uh, to lure these disciples into following them. 
So notice there that Paul is warning them, you know, protect the flock. There's threats coming. And he tells them uh, the potential threats come from two places, both external and internal. He said wolves will come in among you. That's that's the external threat. Um, But then he says men will rise up from your own number, from among you, from within your churches. Right. And that's the internal threat. So what we need to take away from this then as elders and as church members is that we all need to be alert. We need to have our eyes open and be watching for this sort of thing. But specifically for the pastor, when those wolves do come in, um, we need to be willing to kick, bite and get bloody if that's what it takes to protect those that are under our care. We aren't playing sports here. The church is not a social club. We are dealing with matters of spiritual life and spiritual death. So when these threats come, whether internal or external, and they seek to lure our people away with false doctrine or seek to spread gossip and disunity among our own body or whatever the case may be, we must be willing to meet these things head on no matter what it may cost us personally. A small fire is a harmless thing, right? But if you allow a small fire to go unchecked, it can turn into an inferno that will devour everything. So we as shepherds must be willing to stamp out small fires when they arise, when the need is there. This is what it means to be a shepherd. So in closing, and I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know here, uh, but being an overseer in Christ's church is not for the faint of heart. Um, I'm not familiar with this guy, but I found a quote by this guy named Stuart Briscoe. Um, so if this guy's wacky and teaching, you know, mayhem, don't listen. This, I just like this one quote, okay? But he said this. He said, qualifications of a pastor, the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. Being a pastor is about the only job in the world that you can never really clock out from. It's a job where at 9 a.m., you can receive an encouraging text message or a phone call from uh, one church member that's on a mountain, right? And you're celebrating and rejoicing from, with them. And then at 9.30, you can receive a phone call that crushes you uh, because you have another church member that's in a valley um, and you're there to cry with them. This task often has you on an emotional roller coaster. Um, and a lot of people that will never step in these shoes, they don't know that, you know. It, it's a job where you never really stop worrying or wondering about the people that are under your care. You think of them uh, during the day and you pray for them in the morning and in the night. You you can't help but wonder in what ways you're failing each and every one of the people uh, that's under your care and you're constantly praying to God for wisdom to lead, right? Praying that God would just show you the next step. I don't need the whole picture. Just show me the next step, God, that you want me to take and bring our church members along. The pastor is a fixture at the wedding and the funeral, at the deathbed and the nursery, the party, the graduation, the accolades, the counseling room, and the disappointments. Through laughter and tears and everything in between, he is the constant. He is there. Every pastor I know that's worth his salt is overworked and underpaid, but at the same time, he gives himself over to his people regardless. And Jordan, Josh, that's your primary calling, and that's my primary calling, to give ourselves over to these people. Now, we're blessed here to pastor a church that's full of our best friends. Um, This place truly is a big family, and and we've got something special here at New Heritage Church, and I I believe that with all my heart. And I think that many of you, if not all of you, would agree with that. And I believe we're still on the ground floor of this thing. I mean, we're not even a year in yet, right? And I'm excited to see where God takes us in the future as we move along. But sincerely, I thank God that I get to do it alongside you too. Um, Church, these men are not perfect. Uh, I promise you that. But you know what? Neither am I. Um, Every one of us are going to fail you 
at some point or another. It's kind of like bull riding. It's not a matter of getting hurt in bull riding, I should say. It's not a matter of when. It's a matter of if and how bad, right? And so it is with us in this role. Uh, but these are men that whenever they do, they will own it, they will seek restoration, and they will keep moving forward to the glory of God. Martin Luther said this. He said, prayer, study, and suffering make a pastor. And you've got two men here that are, that are dedicated to doing all three. And it's an honor to get to serve alongside them. Let's pray.